Well, amen. And welcome this morning. It is, uh, it is so good to be here. We, we, I just want you to know that as, as a staff, um, we love meeting together and putting on the services and being able to be together. And man, we miss you being here with us, but man, we've started to just really enjoy this time. Um, not that we don't want you to be back. Don't, don't take that that way. Um, I, am just, I just want to say that I am so thankful for this church family, the way that this church prays. You know, we've, um, Craig was mentioning a couple people who uh, the Lord has just blessed with recovery from cancer, and that is just amazing and wonderful. But we had a, another couple really serious health issues this week um, that we were actually very concerned about. And just being able to pray and to see God work in both of those situations, like I'm just looking at some of the, the prayer request lists, and just seeing how amazing God, how amazingly God has answered prayer. And so I'm just really thankful for that. I want to remind you, um, this morning we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, specifically Satan's schemes, the way he attacks us, tempts us, and manipulates us. And if we can see Satan for what he is, and if we can see his work, uh, we'll be that much better at avoiding his plans for us. But I want to remind you, that during this whole COVID-19 thing, you know, Satan doesn't only work in the church and Satan is not only attacking believers. He attacks the whole world. And uh, right now he is attacking, he is trying to use this COVID-19 thing for people's harm, to damage, to kill. That's what he loves doing. And it just is a, remi a reminder for us as believers to be praying for people who are suffering, people who have lost loved ones. You know, domestic abuse, child abuse, murder are on the rise during this COVID-19. Somebody was just sharing with me that there's a town um, that the murder rate during the COVID-19 period has actually matched the, the murder rate for the entire previous year. Amazing what, um, what is happening here. Um, so many people are worried about the future. They're concerned about their, their outcome and how things are going to go in this. And I just want to remind you Pray for people. Let's pray because Satan intends this to destroy. But God is also at work mightily for people's, for people's good. God is going to take this terrible thing and he has great plans for people. So just remember to be praying. And, and as we see the world being divisive and fighting about, oh, we should open and no, we shouldn't open. And as we see that, um, hey, in the church, we have strong opinions on both sides of that as well. But we are so different because we love each other and we don't let a difference in opinion result in divisiveness and conflict. And so let's just keep that in mind. Now, I want to tell you that after um, my sermon a couple weeks ago, where we were talking about Satan and uh, just the nature of our enemy, Satan and demons, we got some great questions that were emailed in. And uh, I'm not going to answer them now. In fact, you can go. There was a video posted on Saturday afternoon that had answers to all of these questions. So go check it out. But I'll tell you what the questions were. They were so good. Do angels have free will? When exactly were they created? Um, when Jesus drove the demons out in Matthew 8:34, why did the townspeople ask Jesus to leave? Is Hebrews 13, 2, which talks about entertaining strangers because you might entertain um, angels, uh, are, are those real-world physical interactions with angels, or are those just angels looking down on us? Um, how do you explain to an unbeliever, if God is so powerful, why He allows Satan and demons to, to be so powerful and to exert their influence? 
Throughout history, people have worshipped all kinds of gods. Are those actually God-created spiritual beings, or are they just human creations? Um, those are some good questions, and I'm so glad that they were asked, and uh, you can go check out the video on that. But I just want to start by reminding us what we already know from Scripture. And today we're going to be thinking carefully about especially the way Satan tempts and manipulates. But here's our foundation. This is one of the things that we need to start with. Is John 10.10, we understand that Satan, who is the thief, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. There is a contrast. Satan wants to destroy you, but Jesus says... I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. So Jesus came to give us abundant life. Satan has come to destroy us. Um, we, when we think about God and what he's done, his blessings for us, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It is God's strength that allows us to overcome Satan. Put on the whole armor of God, every single piece that God has given us, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan has a plan for your life. You got to make sure that you are not falling into his plan. Now, a couple weeks ago, we considered the nature of angels, where they came from. Most importantly, we consider what do we learn about God? by understanding what Scripture says about Satan and demons. And we know this is, these are the three things we learn. God is the unmatched power in the universe. We saw the, the disaster that comes when any creation rebels against God. And we saw God's amazing love in reaching out and providing salvation for mankind. So that was a couple weeks ago. This week, we're going to consider the specifics of how Satan attacks. Now, this is a huge subject. I'm gonna go so fast through some things, but I do wanna mention them, but we're gonna cover three things this morning. First, we're gonna consider the satanic deception and the way that Satan has attacked our culture or the world. We're secondly gonna just consider a few brief things about demon possession, the occult, and, 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 we, and to consider how careful we need to be not to allow Satan to speak directly into our lives. And that is happening. And then the third thing, and I think actually for those of us who are believers, this is the most important part. We do need to see and understand those other things. But the most important thing we need to consider is how Satan attacks, tempts, and manipulates believers. What a tragic thing when a Christian, a person who follows God, actually becomes a tool of destruction in Satan's hand. When he, he takes two believers who should love the Lord and love each other and begins to use them against each other. You know, this happens in the church. It happens in culture. It happens in families. And, and we need to be able to study Scripture, look at Scripture, and recognize Satan's attack when it's happening. So that's where we're headed. So let's just start with the first point here is that Satan attacks through a sinful culture. 
Satan attacks through a sinful culture. One of the things as believers that we need to understand, and, and we'll look at this passage in a moment, but Satan is the God of this world. He has designed and created a system that is against God, that is anti-God. And you can travel to parts of the world where people are directly worshiping de demons and worshiping Satan. You can go to a place that is, that is kind of higher and they don't believe in spiritual things. They think that this world is all there is. And, they, and they're attempting to be loving and gracious and kind and to do good. But as they do that, they actually are harming and destroying and damaging. You need to recognize that all of us are growing up in a sinful culture where Satan is attacking our mind. He's attacking the way that we think. He's creating a, a situation and an environment that will pull us away from God. It's important for us to recognize that. If you look first about just Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, let me put this on the screen. I want to read it. And it just, this is talking about every single person, the way we're born, and kind of what controls and influences our lives. This is true for everybody. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in once, in which you once walked following the course of this world, that's our culture, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Every single unbeliever is under Satan's control, demonic influence, no matter how good they are, no matter what virtuous things they attempt to do, they fit into a system that is harmful and damaging. We need to recognize that about the unbelieving world. It's living in a world where we think that this life is all there is. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. You know, I think that in our sinful culture, certainly there's lots of opportunities to sin. There are a lot of destructive things that we can do. But what we need to recognize is that, that Satan's primary target is the mind. Satan wants to create, wants to control how you think because your life flows from your thoughts. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In Romans 12.2, Paul's talking about um, becoming a Christian and the new life in Christ, and he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to control your thinking. Uh, look, at, look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So we need to recognize that, that the way we think when we're born, the world, the culture that we grow up in has an anti-God thinking, an anti-God approach to life. And we need to recognize that we're growing up in that, our kids are growing up in that, and the solution 
is to be people of the word. We start in Genesis and we read through Revelation and we understand truth. We just keep reading. We just keep reevaluating our thoughts and we fill our minds with God's truth so that we can see life for what it is. So that's, that's, we just need to recognize that. I want to point out just quickly, I want to mention a couple ways that Satan attacks people's minds, specifically things that scripture says. Um, but one of the ways that Satan attacks us is um, that he blinds the minds of unbelievers. When you present the gospel to somebody and they hear the gospel and they don't believe it, they watch it on TV, your unbelieving neighbors and friends, that is a work of Satan to blind their minds to the truth of the gospel, which is why we don't hate unbelievers. We pray that they would be freed from Satan. This is what it says. And even if our gospel, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, Luke 8, 12, we're going to get to this in Matthew, the parable of the, of the sowing of the seeds. And Jesus tells a story where he says that people hear the gospel and Satan comes and plucks it out of their mind. Now, it's like a person sitting in church and right before the, the pastor gets to that part that's really important for them to hear, something happens. Somebody talks to them. They get a text. Something distracts them. You may be sitting in your living room right now listening and watching a sermon, and all of a sudden, for, for no reason, at just the important time, something happens that distracts you. That's what Satan is doing. Um, Satan also attacks the world through false religions. Uh, he wants to make people think that they have a relationship with God when they don't. He wants to take religion, control it, make it evil and sinful, so that God gets the credit for Satan's work can't tell you how many times I've read in history and people have talked about the atrocious things that Christians have done. And yet, if you look at the people that they define as Christians and what they believe, they're actually not Christians. They're people following false religions, but they're labeled as a Christian. How amazing that Satan can do things and then credit God with those. Um, Satan wants to infiltrate, pollute, and distract and hinder the church. He has his plants actually in a church. And so uh, 2 Corinthians uh, just talks about this. We'll look at this verse quickly. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, 13, says this, talking about these false teachers, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves, as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so that so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their deeds. So you look out into the world, just know it's a it's a it's a it's it's a satanic system. Uh, the TV, the things you watch, all these things are designed to pull you away from Christ, to make you believe lies. And that's, that's our culture. And Satan is snatching the gospel, he is blinding people, and he's promoting false religion to lead people astray. So that's, that's just a lens that we look at the world. Here's a second one. Satan attacks 
Satan and his forces, demonic forces, attack unbelievers through possession, oppression, and influence. You know, um, the Bible is clear that people can be demon-possessed. This is something I think is interesting. You see Satan's work and demonic influence in the Old Testament. You see it during the ministry of Jesus. You see it during the book of Acts. And then when you look into Revelation, when Jesus returns, that tribulation period, you see demonic influence at work there. Guess what? There's demonic influence today in the same way that there has always been. We don't always recognize it. We don't always see it for what it is. And this is actually something that's very important. The only truth that we know about demon possession and anything about the spirit world comes from Scripture. Personal experience does not determine truth because people are deceived. We take our experiences and we filter those things through the truth of Scripture. So if you go to some, some person who says, oh, I've got experience with demon possession, and I know about this, and I've seen this, that is never a source of truth. That is something that we actually evaluate by spiritual truth, scriptural truth. And so one of the ways that we know that there's demon possession is basically just the words that are used in the New Testament to talk about this. People are talked about as having demons, People are talked about as being demonized. In Jesus' ministry, he cast demons out of people, which means that demons were in people. Now, let's look at one story that Jesus tells, Luke eleven twenty four. This is kind of a description, some great lessons in it. It says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, Jesus, um, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Uh, the house is a person uh, where this demon lives. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter in and they dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first. You know, there, there are a few important lessons there. I mean, for one, people can be demon-possessed. Secondly, it's, it's the disaster of neutrality. People who say, oh, I'm not going to be against God, and I'm not going to be for God. What a, what a disaster. This demon leaves the house is, the, the person's life is well and in order, but they don't have Christ living in their heart. See, a, a Christian can never be demon-possessed because a Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you, and no demon can live in a Christian and control a Christian when God is living in a Christian and controlling a Christian. What a disaster not to have the Holy Spirit living in you. As we look at uh, demon possession, Mark chapter 5, verse 3 through 9, we see that people who are demon-possessed have unusual strength, that demons actually control the victims. We see that they have supernatural knowledge. We saw that in Matthew. Jesus walks up. These demon -possessed, uh, this demon-possessed man immediately knows who Jesus is. In that story, he's breaking chains. He can't be bound. Supernatural strength. As you look through the Old Testament, you see the influence that Satan, that demons have. In Judges 9.20, we see that demons went to incite conflict between people. 
in 1 Kings 22, verse 22 to 23, you see that, that these demons carry false messages. They claim to be prophets of God, and they go actually speak lies. So that you have a prophet, you have a king who's saying, hey, I want to know, God, what should I do? They're seeking God, and this false prophet comes and lies to them. Um, you see that God allowed a demon to incite um, King David in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. And if you look at that parallel passage, 1 Chronicles 21.1, you see that God allows a demon to influence David, to put it into David's heart to number Israel. And so you see that demons can control and they can influence thinking. Demons also, um, as you look through the New Testament, they cause physical ailments. Now we see in Matthew 9, 22, uh, 32 to 33, a man who couldn't speak because of a demon. In Matthew 12, 22, a man who was blind and couldn't speak because of a demon. In Matthew 17, 15 to 18, Mark 9, 22, you see that, that people have um, seizures, convulsions, they're foaming at the mouth, they're suffering, they're shrieking. There's a desire in them to commit suicide, to jump into a fire, to drown themselves. Just how demons take people over and try to destroy them and kill them. In Luke chapter 13, verse 11 through 17, you see a woman who was bent over for 18 years, she physically couldn't stand up straight because of a demon. We see that uh, they have power over nature. When you think about Job, uh, the moment God says, okay, Satan, you can take what he has, uh, Satan um, destroys his, his child's house with wind and he causes fire to fall and burn things. So we see this demonic force actually being able to influence nature. So demons are powerful. And I want to tell you something else. This, this could be kind of scary, and it should be, actually. Uh, and there's a lot of people who make this mistake. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 19, verse 12. And I just want to, I want to go out there and I want to say this. Uh, demons are not superstitious. It is amazing to me how, you know, we have these movies that we get our, our movie theology. And when Dracula is coming in, somebody grabs a cross and holds it up and, and Dracula goes, ah, you know, and he shrinks back. And if you touch him with a cross, it burns his skin because, you know, evil is afraid of a cross. Or I've heard people say, oh, man, I just I want my Bible with me. They think that if their Bible is in their in their presence, that that will somehow help them. Demons and Satan are not superstitious. I've heard people say things like, oh yeah, um, demons and Satan, they hate the name of Jesus. You can't say the name of Jesus. If you say the name of Jesus, they'll run. You know, none of that is biblical. The truth is that Satan and demons, they love the name of Jesus. They say Jesus' name all the time. They claim to be Jesus. They misrepresent Jesus. When Satan is creating a false religion, he doesn't always exclude the Bible. Sometimes he makes sure that he includes it. There are a lot of satanic religions who claim that the Bible is what they believe. And then they twist it. They add other writings to it. They add other authorities to it. They say things like, oh yeah, we believe the Bible, but you can't understand it. We'll tell you what it means. 
Um, Satan's not afraid of Scripture. When he was tempting Jesus, he quoted Scripture. Uh, here's an example of that in Acts chapter 19, verse 12. Some people that were superstitious, and they thought Satan would be superstitious, and he wasn't. So um, here's what's happening in, in Acts 19, 12. Um, God is verifying his messengers. And it just says that when, um, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So that's God's faithful follower. And God demonstrated, this is my spokesperson. And then it says in verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So they were going and they were saying, they were, they were proclaiming Jesus' name to a demon, and they actually identified the correct Jesus, the Jesus that Paul was preaching. And then it goes on and it says, the seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, and he said, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. These people think, oh man, I'm going to use supercision. I'm going to just say Jesus' name. And they go out, and this demon-possessed man jumps on them, rips their clothes off, beats them, and they run away afraid. You know, there's no magical chant. It's not a cross. It's not any of those other things that give us power over Satan. It is God himself loving for, caring, and living in his children. So our protection against Satan is that we are a child of God. And beyond that, there is no protection. One of the things that we know is that God's gracious. Satan would kill every person in the world if he could, especially unbelievers. The only reason any unbeliever is alive is because Jesus is sparing them. So God's gracious. You know, um, when we think about that in our culture, I'm just going to list off a few things. Um, there are mediums. There are psychics. In fact, I was doing an internet search and it just said the 10 best places to see a psychic in Rancho Santa Margarita. You know, I'm just thinking, really, in this small town, we got 10 of these places? Um, tarot card readers, fortune tellers, people who speak to the dead. Uh, you ever hear of psychics who help law enforcement find criminals or crime victims? All of that, all of that is demonic. You know, when it comes to people, I've talked to people who have said, man, I, I went, and uh, this person talked to my dead aunt, and they told me things that nobody could possibly have known. And, and they believe that. They trust that. They're going to, to get advice and to speak to a dead relative. So let me just tell you how to think about that as a believer. First of all, um, a large percentage of that is manipulation. It's dishonesty. It's it's just people who are good at tricking you into telling them things. 
and, and you don't even realize the information that they're giving and they read your body language and they read, read your face and they kind of guess until they get closer. And th there's a lot of people. We see magicians. We see all kinds of people do those types of things. So a lot of it's manipulation. But did you know not all of it is manipulation? Uh, there are elements of it that are real, that are true. But here's what you need to know. It is not your dead relative that is speaking to you. It is a demon that is speaking to you. Think about this. There's nothing that your dead relative knows that a demon may not know. There could have been a demon that was walking around, following them, trying to influence them, watching things that happen in their life, manipulating them, watching where they put the, the golden ring. And then you go to try to speak to your dead relative and a demon-possessed person comes and pretends to be your relative and speaks and says, oh, here's where the ring is. Or here's the thing, there's a demon influencing somebody to kill someone. And then a psychic goes to the police and, and this demon speaks through this psychic person to say, oh, this is where this has happened and this is how this happened. So are, is all of that stuff false? No. In fact, when, when Paul went into Philippi, there was a demon-possessed woman following him around and Paul cast the demon out of her. And when Paul cast the demon out of her, her masters realize our hope of profit is gone. The demon speaking through her was able to tell people their fortune. And so just know that anytime anybody has anything to do with any of that, you are opening the door and say, saying, Satan, speak directly to me. As believers, we need to stay far away from that. And uh, read Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 through 22 is a good description of, of, of a, a good warning for us to stay away. Now, here's the third point, and this is our most important section. You know, th that, uh, th all that other information is good. It's foundational. It's helpful. But we need to understand this. Demonic forces have a plan to tempt and to manipulate believers. You know, Satan's not afraid of the church. He loves the church. He's not avoiding the church. He wants to infiltrate it, and he wants to manipulate it. If you're a believer, um, and especially the more faithful of a believer you are, the more God is going to use you, the more opportunities you have to be used, the more attention Satan is going to give you. It's not the, the people that are compromising and away from God that are under the most spiritual attack. It's those who have a desire to please the Lord that Satan wants to trip up. And so um, there's two main ways that Satan does that. One is temptation. Uh, one is temptation. And temptation is when Satan lures you, when he tries to draw you, he tries to get you to want something that will destroy you. That's what Satan wants to do. He is a tempter. And James tells us that, that temptation actually comes from within us and that each of us are led astray, led astray when we follow our own lusts and desires and sinful desires. But Satan is the one who, who puts that lure out there. When you develop a sinful appetite in your life, Satan will use that against you. And so Satan does tempt us even though temptation comes from within us. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, and let's just look at the first time this happened. 
This is Genesis 3.1. God's been good. He's created Adam and Eve perfect. He's put them in this wonderful situation. And Satan shows up. And, and the way Satan tried to tempt Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is exactly the way he tries to tempt you and I today. Look at this, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? You know, there's two things that happen there. The first thing that Satan is doing is he is questioning God's goodness. He's planting this thought in Eve's mind. You know, God's not, he, he's holding out on you. He's trying to stop you from getting something that would benefit you, that would bless you, that would help you. God's holding out. And so he questions God's goodness, and he also misrepresents what God says. God never said, don't eat from any, any trees in the garden. He said, don't eat from one tree in the garden. You know, Satan does that today. Talk about sexual purity, marriage between a man and a woman. Let's just talk about all the things that, that God says about how we should live life. And the world's message is God's holding out on you. He's trying to stop you. He's trying to hurt you from having things that, that would be a blessing to you. The truth is every lie Satan tells is to destroy you. Think about our culture, what, what happens with people who are struggling with gender identity. You'll have some 10-year-old kid who's going through a difficult time and uh, struggling with, with gender identity. And we have a culture right now that encourages this 10-year-old to get surgery, to take drugs, to do things that will permanently alter his or her life. And that's done in the name of love and care and support. And then one day that, that kid wakes up and thinks, man, what have I done to myself? And it just is this incredible tragedy. And Satan doesn't just do that in those big ways. It is in every little way getting you to think that obeying God is bad for you and disobeying God is good for you. Think about that is every sin in your life. And then it goes on. It says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat from the tr fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the thing about Satan. He says, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. That was actually a lie that was spoken in a sense that was true because Adam and Eve did know good and evil after this, but they weren't like God. God knows good and evil not because he's ever experienced evil. Adam and Eve now understood evil because they had experienced it. Satan loves people who are familiar with the Old Testament, who are familiar with the New Testament, but who don't know it well. Because he can take truth, he can take scripture, he can take it out of context, he can twist it, he can manipulate it, which is why Satan uses scripture in a lot of his false religions. And we need to be people that know God's word. And so um, uh, Satan convinces that disobedience is actually what's best. So that's temptation. That's Satan's plan. Uh, there's another one that Satan uses 
against believers, Satan uses manipulation. He uses manipulation. That's to get you to disobey God so that he can use you. And when you think about the, what happened in the fall, the snake convinces Eve to eat from the tree. And then after Eve has eaten from the tree, after she has sinned, after she's disobeyed God, Satan then uses her to get Adam to eat from the tree. And, then, and so she becomes a pawn. It's the snake to Eve to Adam. It's interesting when God comes and says, hey, how come, how come you guys are hiding? Um, they blame God by blaming each other. Adam says, um, God, it's your fault because you gave this woman to me, and this woman is the one who made me eat the fruit. And, um, and then God says to Eve, Eve answers and says, oh, uh, but God, you know what? I only did it because Satan made me do it. You want to know what's interesting? God doesn't say, oh, oh, Eve, it wasn't your fault. It actually was her fault. She was a willing participant. She disobeyed and she influenced Adam. But God then, as they blame each other, God then starts with a snake and he says, here's my judgment on you, the snake, for what you've done. And then he goes to Eve and he doesn't say, hey, Eve, it's, it's not your fault because the, the snake influenced you, Satan influenced you. He, he starts by judging the snake and then he judges Eve. And he says, Eve, what you did was wrong. And here's the consequences of that. And then he doesn't say, hey, Adam, it's not your fault. I mean, actually, it's my fault. I gave you Eve, and it's her fault because look how she misled you. Um, God then says, and Adam, because you disobeyed me. And then he pronounces judgment on Adam. See, we, we're responsible when we give in to sin. And we are responsible when we influence another person. And that other person is responsible when they allow themselves to be influenced. Now, Satan's plan is to manipulate and use people against each other. All right, so this is actually one of the really cool things, is if you read Scripture, and this is one of the things I love about God, is he gives us actual specific teaching about things, but then from the beginning of Genesis through the end of Revelation, you read stories. The Old Testament is full of stories to see, oh, okay, God explained that this is true. Let me see how that actually works its way out in life. And so we get living, real pictures of things that have happened, which is why we read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, because all of it's there for a purpose. But I'm going to give you a few of things. I've listed them here. Um, Satan's specific tools that he uses, pride and greed. Pride. If we learn to think about these things, we will recognize Satan's hand in our life. Like the moment I start feeling prideful and puffed up and I just think, oh man, look at this great thing I did. And man, I'm better than these other people. Boom, as soon as that thought hits my mind, I realize, okay, this is satanic. Satan is right now trying to trip me up and manipulate me. The moment I say, I can't believe that person would ever do that. I would never do that. Satan um, working in my life through pride. The, mo the moment I start to be judgmental or hard on another person, that is Satan working in my life. And, and you see Satan using pride not only in your life, but you see it happen in the church. 1 Timothy 3, 6. 
Elders are not supposed to be new converts because when they're put in charge, sometimes they start to be prideful. They start to think, oh man, I'm powerful. Everybody should look at me. I, I know more than other people. I am in charge. And God uses pride to turn them into his tool. Um, pride and greed. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Um, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 5 says to Ananias and Sapphira, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Why'd he lie? It was pride and it was greed. Ananias was doing a good thing. He decided, I'm going to sell some of my property and I'm going to invest it in the church. I'm going to give it to people. But actually wanted to be prideful because he actually didn't want to give it all, which he didn't have to give it all. But he goes before the church and he pretends, I've sold my property, I've given all. You remember the passage where Jesus was saying, don't practice your righteousness to be noticed by men. You know, if we just simply obey those things, this could never have happened. But he's bragging about how he's giving all that he has, and he lies. And we know that in that case, God actually killed him right there in church and killed his wife for lying. Satan manipulated him through the desire for human um, uh, respect. That happens. That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. They loved respectful greetings, pride, greed. Um, how about pride and jealousy? Um, have you ever done something? Again, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Remember John the Baptist? He says, um, um, I may, may I decrease and may Jesus increase. Um, have you ever been jealous about something somebody else has? You ever worked really hard in church, done some ministry, and, and they were thanking people, and they thanked everyone but you. Did that bother you? Because if, if it did, it's satanic. Because the thing is, God never misses anything that anybody did. If you're doing it to please God, and you know He noticed, you will not care if anybody else notices. You ever see somebody, you ever see God cause division, hurt, conflict, because somehow somebody didn't get the recognition they thought they needed, that is satanic. And if you see it in another person, do you ever see it in yourself? Have you ever thought, man, how come this person has such a great job and I don't? You ever wanted a promotion and you see somebody else get promoted and you just think, man, why'd they get that promotion? Why didn't I get that promotion? Jealousy. That is how Satan manipulates and uses people. See, we're supposed to um, desire other people's while being more than our own. We're supposed to treat others the way we would want to be treated. If we see somebody else get promoted, we should be happy for them. And yet Satan takes that and he uses it to manipulate. I know a guy one time in a church who really wanted a promotion and somebody else got the promotion instead. And he was jealous. It bothered him. It hurt him, and he seethed on that for years. And at, at every opportunity, he would slander that person. And it was just this, this thing that, that just happened over time, and God used it, and eventually he's slandering, and he's bringing other people into this. And it's just like Satan's looking at him going, awesome. He's jealous. He's making a place for that in his heart. 
Um, I don't need that right now, but in the future, I'm going to tap into that. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that to help him be destructive to a church family. You know, Satan uses jealousy. Uh, Craig preached on this in James 3.13. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Satan uses that to manipulate people. So much of that happens in the church. How about anger? You know, the Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil opportunity. James 1.19 says, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Have you ever been legitimately hurt, and yet you're angry um, toward another person? Satan will use your anger to cause you to do things and to say things that are damaging and that are harmful. Um, the Bible tells us Satan uses laziness, 1 Timothy 5, 13, all the way down through 15. People who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're not diligent, they're not working hard, Satan manipulates them through that, and they become a tool in Satan's hand. I know a person one time that was involved in this um, immoral type of relationship with a married person. And at the same time, they were a student. They actually failed all of their classes because of how much time they spent committing acts of sin. You know, just amazing. Um, that became the, their failure to do what they were supposed to do resulted in destruction. Rebellion. That's one of Satan's favorite tools. You know, we hear that it's natural and normal for teenagers to rebel. Rebellion is actually one of Satan's great manipulative tools. First Timothy, um, or I'm sorry, First Samuel 15, 23 says, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. Now that, that, that's like divining. And God tells Paul that because he had rebelled, he had been rejected as king. A lot of times, you know, uh, we just, we go against leaders, leaders that God has put in our life, leaders that have a right to speak to us about things, and because of our heart and our anger and our rebellion, we become manipulated by Satan. Lust is another one. Lack of forgiveness. You know, I want to just talk about la um, lack of forgiveness. You know, lack of forgiveness is something that when a person hurts you and you refuse to forgive them, then, then Satan will use that in your life. But think about how that happens. Uh, a person will sin, that maybe they fall into the sin of lust. Maybe somebody has an affair. I mean, that is just Satan desiring to destroy a marriage, to hurt kids, to hurt a spouse. Um, there are pastors who, who fall into immorality. Satan's desire is to harm them, to destroy them, to get them to fall. And when they do that, it creates all kinds of hurt. And then you'll have when people are unforgiving toward them. Now think about Jesus. You know, the woman caught in adultery. Uh, Jesus says, go and sin no more, and I don't condemn you. Think about Peter when he denied Christ. Jesus, as, as many times as he denied Jesus, Jesus says, do you love me? He allowed Peter to proclaim his love. You know, Peter wasn't cast out. He wasn't gone. He wasn't running away. Jesus didn't say, I have no more use for you. Get out of here. And how many people in the church fall into sin and because they're ashamed, because they're embarrassed, because they've created so much hurt, because people who have been hurt by them won't forgive them, 
of these people who have been harmed by Satan end up wandering. They, they end up, they don't feel at home at church. They don't feel loved and forgiven and restored. Now, a lack of forgiveness is something that is so incredibly destructive. It's like if a person lost their arm or their leg in some kind of a battle for us to say, okay, we, we don't want you around. We want you gone. Move out of here. There's no, we have no use for you. Versus what we do, we put a prosthetic leg on somebody who's lost their leg in war and they can run and they, they participate and they still do things and we love them and we appreciate them and we're brokenhearted about the harm that's happened to them. But they're restored. That is what is supposed to happen to people who fall into sin, people who sin against you, people who sin against others. And lack of forgiveness is something that Satan uses to keep people out of church, to keep people out of fellowship, to keep people out of the body of Christ. We need to be a loving, gracious, forgiving place. Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself lest you be tempted. Now we need to be like Jesus. Sinners shouldn't run from us, they should run to us. And the moment we disobey God in any of these areas, we become a tool in Satan's hand to further harm people that he wants to harm. Um, you know, um, I'll just, I'm going to skip this example because we're out of time, but you know, King Saul, he's a perfect example of this. A man who rebels against God and you see the demonic influence in his house and in his life. He gets jealous. He is angry toward David. He tries to murder David. Like this is Satan in his life. And there are so many people in the church who because they don't recognize Satan's plan of attack, they fall into it. Um, it separates kids and parents. It separates siblings. It separates people in the body of Christ who should love each other. Um, Satan certainly has his schemes. But here's the good news. God's laid it out. He's explained it. It's nice and it helps us to understand it, but you actually don't even have to understand it. All you got to do is obey. All you got to do is say, God tells me to submit to authority. God tells me to love people. God tells me to forgive people. All you have to do is obey and you avoid every manipulation from Satan in your life. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. God's faithful will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with every temptation will provide a way out. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that God is so good. Thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would help us not to fall victim that we would not allow ourselves to be prideful, jealous, angry, unforgiving, that we would never be a tool in Satan's hand. And Lord, in many ways, we all fail, and those exact things happen to us, and right afterwards, we realize that it's happened. And Lord, when we see it, uh, thank you that you forgive us. Help us to seek uh, forgiveness from others. Help us to just continue on and just continue to love people Lord, help us to have victory and be powerful tools in your hand, in your name. Amen.